you and Amanda, are you all the longest standing members at the church? Not, not of course, with our Crawford Avenue folks, but with our Berea timeline. Yeah. The only ones I can think that, I can't remember if Bobby and Julie were there before we were. Okay. That'd be the only ones. Yeah. They were, about, they, they were at the same time, right? Were you all there before Bert was there? No, we came in 2007, maybe. I think you'd been there like a couple of years, okay. three years. What was it like in those early days? Really uh, challenging. So we didn't find the church for a year. We were here for a year and uh, looking for a Reformed Baptist church, looking online at this particular website, couldn't find one. And so you had it. those parameters in your mind already, right. Reformed Baptist. Yeah. We came from that, from Conyers. I didn't grow up in that, but yeah. and we can talk about it later. But so we found it, went to it, and then so to answer your question, it was really tense. Like mm. it was dwindling down. How so? Um, maybe went from while we were there, maybe thirty or forty people, and then it seemed like at its lowest after we were there for a couple of months, down to maybe ten or fifteen. You know, our members meeting and um, some heated discussions were happening based on circumstances were going on and the Lord just kind of taking care of all that on the back end, which we didn't know it, but he was. And so it was interesting, um, challenging. Um, but we saw the grace and we saw what was coming. Yeah. And so we were all in and thankful to be a part of that because Amanda had to be turned 180 degrees in that one year of being here without before we found Berea because we came here she came from a reformed church that had established mm-hmm. going through the pains of getting established when I was there we were meeting in a nursery mm-hmm. so they were still growing we got here and she was like I want no part of like growing again or establishing yeah I would like hard. to be in a uh, established church so we visited a few in the area and we kind of landed at one, uh, but weren't totally, um, coming on alongside with what they believe totally. But even in visiting the Lord for a year, it took a year for Amanda to become okay with starting back at a small church. And when we found Berea small, it was against everything that she had wanted to do. So the Lord really just like, okay, it really doesn't matter what, you want or we want, this is where you're going to be. <laughs> and it, it's been sweet ever since then. Um, really neat. So that's kind of how that small part came to be in 2000. And I think it was, so we came out here in 2006. So that was like, it was a year almost to the day we were looking that Berea showed up on this website, it was never there mm-hmm. for one weekend. They put it out there on this website and we looked every weekend. We found it. We listened to one sermon that Bert had. They recorded it, and we went that Sunday and never looked back. Mm -hmm. You're listening to Won't You Be My Elder, a podcast of Crawford Avenue Baptist Church. I'm John Ross. I'm one of the elders and pastors here. Our goal in the series is to help our fellow Crawford Avenue Church members get to know the elders of the church a little better. In many of the conversations you have with elders, our goal is to check on you, to learn your story, to come alongside you as we navigate life together, and to care for you through counsel, teaching, and prayer. 
We are grateful that you also want to get to know us, and we hope that in making this long-form interview series available to you, you'll come away with a sense of knowing our stories a little better, and in turn, we hope to equip you to pray for us well. My next guest is Chad Trollinger. He's one of our lay elders at Crawford Avenue, and he serves as a small business owner and realtor here in Augusta. Chad is married to Amanda Trollinger, and they've been married for 22 years. They have two high schoolers at Greenbrier, Aubrey and Brooks. In this episode, you'll learn about how Chad was raised in church but came to a saving knowledge of Christ in college, the ways the Lord redirected his life to bring him to Augusta, and the great strength that he and Amanda have found in the Lord through physical suffering. Towards the end, we'll talk about some of Chad's favorite things, so stick around and learn more about Chad here on Won't You Be My Elder. Well, Chad, take us back to uh, the early days. Tell us a little bit about how you grew up, what your family believed, and what life was like for you in your house growing up. So in the 80s, I'm kind of like an 80s, I guess you could say, uh, kid, born in 73, and born in the Atlanta area, moved out to Conyers, Georgia. It's about 20 minutes outside of Atlanta uh, in 74, 75, something like that. Grew up in a, a nominal Christian home where my parents, for a while, did not go to church. We didn't attend worship anywhere. Okay. And I remember specifically one morning, it was a Sunday morning, my mom getting really upset about we need to go to church and be involved because she grew up, her dad was a pastor. How and old were you at that time? I was probably seven. Seven, okay. And I have a, a younger brother and younger sister. And so we went. And I uh, visited around, landed on a church uh, called Conyers Christian Church. And the denomination, they say, was non-denominational, but it was Christian, kind of from the standpoint of Church of Christ, um, I guess, mm-hmm. history and making. And so we went. And so then it was, you know, years of being there every Sunday morning, uh, Wednesday evening, uh, being in the doors of the church. And so I grew up, you know, in the church which was great. And kind of parentheses, my dad wasn't the one that was driving. So my mom was mm-hmm. always the one kind of like, we need to, let's go. She established the routine and habit. So it didn't have like a spiritual leader in my family from my dad's standpoint. He didn't really own it. Didn't really take advantage of the opportunity for us and uh, my brother and sister, but we went. And so had a, uh, I guess not knowing what else was out there, just kind of in this bubble of Conyers Christian Church, had you know good experience, was around um, Christians, obviously. And um, because my dad didn't lead or we didn't do anything, it was just nominal, meaning it was just on Sunday and Wednesday night. Okay. We were there in Sunday morning, and so uh, we were always there. So I established some good friends. Have, it was good to have friends in school and at church uh, that were there together. We could talk and share life. Um, so at that point, um, you know, 10 or 11, we'd been this one church for a while and went to camps every summer, uh, a camp out in wood, it's called Woodland Christian camp out in Carrollton, Georgia. Had a great time of camp, got a lot of friends. Well, one weekend, obviously the camp ends and there's singing and stuff. And some of my friends went down to be baptized. So that was kind of like, Hey, who wants to be baptized based on what we've learned this week? A few guys went down. So I just went after them. Uh, walked down there, and so we talked about what it meant to be baptized. Okay, on Sunday, you guys are going to get baptized. So we kind of set that up. And so at 10 years old, 
I was baptized uh, in the Christian church. And at that point, um, just continued life as uh, normal. Uh, didn't have anyone investing in my life. It was really hang your hat, you know, on your baptism. Mm-hmm. Got a Bible. My baptism date was in there. Yeah. And so at that you point. It. You can check check it off the list. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, at that point, just kind of had the life as usual, like I said, of uh, middle school and then to high school and then to college. And so, man, I knew all the right words to say yeah. uh, at that point. I was not living the life as a believer. I was doing things on my own. Got into high school and got caught up in to the wrong crowds, but it was crowds that I liked because I now I know I wasn't a Christian. So I loved being around those those people and those things that were going on. Um, the Lord protected me from so many things that could have gone wrong, especially in my high school years. Yeah. Did um, you play basketball in high school? Yeah, I did. Yeah. I loved basketball, and um, I played. I played soccer growing up for years, mm-hmm. probably like 15 years, travel ball, and loved it. But then in high school, I was just like, okay, I'm going to pick a sport, pick basketball. Liked it. It was growing. Kind of got too too tall for soccer. Was getting called for high kicks all the time. It's kind of a joke. <laughs> but All man, your kicks are high kicks yeah, when you're tall. That's right. <laughs> so landed in the basketball world and loved it. Michael Jordan became, quote, unquote, my idol. Sadly mm-hmm. say now, but he was my idol. And, like, I loved Michael Jordan. I would I had his pictures all in my room and went to a basketball camp of his and met him, um, got a, an award at the camp, and it was really cool. It was like the height of his career. Hmm. And the only reason I know that is because I'm watching The Last Dance right now. Um, but anyway, so, yeah, I played basketball. And, you know, morally was doing the right things for the most part and um, loving basketball, wanted to play in the NBA, um, but – uh, enjoyed my time there of that, planted in high school. Um, and then from that point, went to college, uh, a junior college, played a little small ball in junior college, got some basics out of the way, and then transferred to West Georgia out in Carrollton. Was going to be a chiropractor, was going to eventually go to Life College, um, but the Lord had other plans for that, obviously. And so I couldn't pass physics was my roadblock. I had to withdraw from the class. And then I met a man at the same time. So then all of a sudden, all these variables of like Chad's plans for his life were just like totally destroyed. Yeah, Chiropractor, West Georgia. You know, I was going to make a name for myself, which meant some bad things happening. In that moment, I got in contact uh, in campus outreach with a guy there. And he challenged me about my baptism. Mm. Uh, Amanda came into my life at that point, which... We were not high school sweethearts. We went to the same high school. We had a class together. Yeah, uh, She knew me. I didn't really know much about her because I was this basketball guy. You said you were getting caught up in some things and like what were some of the things you were you were into? What did the Lord save you from? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the junior year, I guess sophomore year in college, um, still down the path of like, you know, doing some drinking and partying and getting involved with that crowd in college. Yeah, kind of that normal college college life crowd. Yeah, which stemmed from high school. And in high school, I was really, in particular my junior and senior year, playing basketball, loving it, but got involved in that crowd. Um, and the Lord protected me from like a lot of instances. And and, and morally, just like the one thing that I hung, was like, I'm not going to, um, you know, give the gift of love to someone else that the yeah. Lord had given me and down and deep in that. 
So in that, but I did all the other things um, wrongly. Well, get to college and was thinking X. And since the Lord was protecting me and even the drinking and some other things that I was doing, um, he, you know, you, I guess you could say, everybody says, you know, we're such a sinful world and things like this, but the Lord has grace even in our sin to not let us go to the levels that we want to go or could go. Mm -hmm. He stops us at times, whether we know it or not, he's doing all that behind the scenes. And thankfully he did that many times. And so when I get to college and I'm there for like the second year and I'm like, okay, I'm going to do some more of these bad things just to give myself another name because I'm away from home now. Um, this guy gets brought into my life and Amanda gets brought into my life and he questioned me about my baptism. And the Christian church, I came to find out, believes baptism is one of the things that actually saves you. Right. Um, and so when I was challenged with that, it really shook me. Um, and so I started to question the baptism. Well, really question my salvation, I guess, mm. based on this guy it was really a picture of God's grace. So one thing leads to another uh, I met Amanda in that time and I'm wrestling like every single night with Romans and Amanda's, we get serious about dating and it looks like it's going to be uh, engagement. And there was one night we were, I was dropping her off and we were sitting in the car and I was like, you know, if this is going to go anywhere, like we have to be on the same page with uh, what you want to do with your career and with theology because we were different. Mm -hmm. We were different in that she knew and I didn't know what I didn't know, hmm. but I was learning. And so we we're like, yeah, that's right. We got to be on the same page with these things. So like overnight it was, uh, okay, I, I might not be a Christian. And okay, here's what the scripture says about baptism and losing your salvation and these things. And and then I'm like, I'm not going to go be a chiropractor because I can't pass a class. Uh, so I changed my major. And going to her church, they were really establishing this Reformed church. And he's preaching on Hebrews 6, which is all about, if you take it out of context, losing your salvation. Hmm. There's so many words you've tasted, you've shared, you've been in a lot, all these things, right. and it could mean, seem to mean losing your salvation. That was a point of contention with the Christian church. And then we were talking about uh, Romans 6, about baptism. And so, man, like all these variables, the Lord was just like, screaming, hmm. here's the truth of the matter, and here's where you've been falsely taught, I guess. And so wrestling with Romans, I was reading Romans like every single night until 2 or 3, 4 o'clock in the morning. Amanda's challenging me with these things, and the church that I'm visiting with her is challenging me with these things. I'm going home to my parents, talking to them about this stuff, and they're thinking I'm crazy. Hmm. They're like, this is not right. You should not be doing these things. Uh, and then just this guy, Campus Outreach, really just challenged me with the baptism. So it was a collision of all this stuff happening. And I came to realize that the Lord uh, was working in my heart. I was not a Christian and he saved me Man. at that point. And then That's I good. got re or I got baptized and uh, it was in, in a pool. And it was one of the sweetest moments of my life, getting baptized by this pastor that I was visiting with Amanda at their church in Conyers. Man, praise God so for that. Cool. It just seems like this, the Lord orchestrating a perfect storm mm. for you just to think, man, of like the God, God's grace and goodness to you in that moment to like to orchestrate all of those events all at once because he knew that's in some ways that's how you're going to come to uh, surrender to him. 
mean, that's that's amazing. Yeah, it was good. So from Conyers out to West Georgia and Carrollton, and then eventually back to Conyers when we came out here. And to see God's grace, and we, Amanda and I still talk about it to this day after being married for 20, 22, 23 years, just about that season of life and the path that I was take, trying to take myself mm. and the Lord rescuing me from all that. And then revealing to me uh, what true biblical faith is in salvation. Uh, and then from that point on, I love Jude, um, the end of Jude, because he keeps. And from that point on, like, I, by God's grace, have never looked back. Like, it was just like this, you know, you're on the precipice of, you know, taking the path of, like, the devil, the liar, owning you to then the Lord saving me and just, like, turning from that, the repentance not to say, I mean, because it continues sin, but like just putting on a path of like loving and reading mm-hmm. and getting involved and never looking back about those things of the world. And like the vices that held me in college, leading up to college, like that week in that season, we're just like cut off, severed forever. Mm. And like he saved me from even wanting to ever go back to any of that stuff. And like cold turkey, because I couldn't have done it myself. He he did it all. And to know that, like, there was not even, thankfully, a season where I, like, wandered back or wondered, why can't I go back and still have some of that? Or it was just like, never again. I'm done. Yeah. God's taking me there. Just lost the taste for it altogether. Oh, yeah, all of it, man. It was pretty pretty sweet. I imagine you continued to attend that church that you got baptized at. Talk about those years. I imagine you and Amanda got married soon thereafter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this was in Conyers. We both grew up in Conyers, Georgia, and um, didn't know each other except for just who each other. I knew. So the funny story is I knew Amanda in high school as a goody-goody. She okay. was the one that was good. <laughs> uh, I didn't know her family, but I, I knew her. Which makes sense given from what you were saying about your own high school experience. Yeah. So she was a goody goody. Um, but she knew me because I was in the sports and the basketball player and stuff. So then when we go to college and then we start attending church together, um, back in Conyers, everybody's like, whoa, like, did Amanda change and yeah. go like the deep end route? <laughs> or or has something happened You're to You're pulling Chad? her reputation down. Yeah. Yes, totally. <laughs> Could have been that way. And so it was funny to go back because this is all just happening. And no, Chad's the one that's, that's been cool. saved. And to be able to share that with friends and uh, people, our acquaintances in Conyers, because this all happened at West Georgia. And then um, people seeing that when we go visit church. So, yes, stayed at the church, uh, Rockdale Community Church. Uh, the pastor was Butch Rumble, uh, a longtime friend of Amanda. And that church came from a split, you know, and they believed. And the ref- so really the split was reformed path that in this new church was Rockdale community church was established under the reformation and reformed church doctrine. So I got to know Butch really well because I'm meeting with him a lot. And I was meeting with the elders at my church, Conyers Christian church. And there was just a lot of tension. Nothing was matching up. And so 
Butch and I got to know each other pretty well. And there was a lot of young guys in the church. And again, they were getting established. We played basketball a lot because those guys like basketball. And then we were there for, I guess this was like 98 until until we moved out here until like 2006. Sweet time. Butch married us. Uh, we got married in 98. Um, a lot of young couples there that we were able to get involved with. Uh, we did a lot of uh, volunteering at the church. I never became in any official like position there, but we did a lot of teaching and young kids. Aubrey was born while we were there, so we dedicated Aubrey with Butch and the church there. It was a great season of discipleship. People just came around me. They knew my story. Uh, having Butch baptize me in a pool because we were meeting in a nursery was really sweet. So he knew all about the things that were going on. And and they were establishing a church uh, under Reformed Doctrine and loving the Lord. And so it was a great time, man, of establishing a marriage, uh, a new child, uh, a church there on the foundation of Reformed Doctrine. And it was it was a phenomenal season for Amanda and I to really uh, come together early on with that doctrine, that teaching, um, a church that was healthy, that was vibrant and growing, uh, that was loved discipleship, had young and older guys in there helping the other guys out. Um, and they were excited about where the Lord was taking them to as a new church. And so it was really cool to have that part of my life that really confirmed his salvation. And then here's what it means to be uh, a Reformed Baptist believer. And so that was from like, like I said, 98 to 2006 was that season right there. Okay. Right deal. And then y'all moved to Augusta. Mm-hmm. Did you start at Augusta Sportswear at that point? Yeah. Lost my job. I was in the golf industry okay. during that season at Bridgestone Golf. I loved it. I had a great time. I was in marketing. So I got my degree in marketing since chiropractic wasn't going to be the degree. So in marketing, uh, went right into the golf industry and then through a series of events, uh, there was a guy in Japan who was my counterpart. Uh, we got to know each other really well in the golf industry. I even visited him in Tokyo. And he'd come mm-hmm. here. And a cool factor for Japanese culture is to come work in America for like three years and then they go back home. And that's like a resume builder for them. So my counterpart, it was my time was up. I didn't know it. But he came over here, took my position. They let me go. And then he went back to mm-hmm. Japan after three years. But they, he needed a position. It was mine. So... In 2005, I uh, lost my job. In 2006, got the one out here at Augusta Sportswear. So I was here for three months, and then the family eventually came out here. And so I was at Augusta Sportswear in a high-level marketing position, uh, and I got the job through a friend of mine. It's actually the friend, a friend of mine that I used him as a vendor at Bridgestone in the golf industry. He got me the job here because he one of his accounts was the Augusta Sportswear. So go from like, really small company, Bridgestone Gorts to Bridgestone Sports to a massive conglomerate here in Augusta, which is Augusta Sportswear, like a hundred million dollar company. We, we owned multiple companies at that time and we manufactured um, team uniforms, athletic wear, apparel, sportswear, bags and stuff like that and distributed them to local schools. Well, our distribution channel was decorators that would buy it, put a logo on it yeah. and then sell it to the school. So that's the job that brought me out here. And it was a great, like it was a position that, again, the Lord provided during those 10 months of not having a job he provided and then bringing me out here and the family out here provided in a huge way because I 
that position was something that like in corporate world, climbing the ladder was like five steps above mm-hmm. where I was at Augusta. And so we just well, really loved it. Um, and so I had a good time at Augusta Sportswear. It was from 2006 to 2013. So what it grew that, a lot. What was that transition like for you all? I know with anytime you move, moving is just hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you would definitely know that since you did move. But it was, Brooks was like six weeks old. Probably was like a year and a half, maybe a year when I we got when I lost my job at the golf industry oh, and in 10 months. So like, it was difficult because Brooks was young super young. Arby was young. Amanda, which we can get into the story, had uh, some chronic pain and it wasn't at the height, but it was like ramping up in terms of its intensity. We had just transitioned into a new treatment program there in Conyers, Georgia in Covington, where we lived at the time. Actually, we were in social circle, but so, and then to think we were going to leave all that and mm. support potential progress in treatment of pain and then two young kids yeah. uh, to come to Augusta, was it was hard. And then I had to live out here for three months without the family until I could get the house sold, and they moved out here. So it was a Sunday night, travel here, here all week, Friday night, go back home. So I kind of left Amanda with, I mean, her family was close by. But it was hard, and then we got out here and just getting, thankfully I had a friend that let me live with them every That's single great. week, so I didn't yeah. have to get a hotel or anything. And then the move out here. We looked at tons of homes and then we got here and then just getting, it was difficult for the first year because we didn't have a church. You know, we were just visiting yep. around, just kind of yeah. looking for that one. Um, so that would be probably two years of challenge. Yeah. Not having a job, moving out here and then getting the family here uh, was really hard. How would you describe that time spiritually for you all? What did you do in that transition? What were some priorities you had? Mm-hmm. I think for me, it was good because being away from the family. Um, and the house I was in, it was friends. They kind of knew how I operated. So I had good times of like quiet, establishing the work order. And then, uh, being here, not that I have distraction with family, but I was able to focus my mornings on, uh, my worship with the Lord. And I was looking for churches and stuff like that. And talking to Amanda all throughout the day and night, trying to help her through what I was learning during the day was really good. So I think from a, a spiritual standpoint, I continued to grow in that regard. Um, obviously, the element of not having the family and needing to be there for a man of support was a challenge. And yeah. wanting the rush to happen of get them out here affected us a little bit, me a little bit, because I wanted it to happen fast and just wouldn't happen fast enough from what we wanted. So Amanda was just relying on just her family and stuff to kind of get through those months until yeah. what happened, which was great. So from my perspective, spiritually, um, I continued to kind of like get on a path of a a routine uh, to walk with the Lord and trust in Him that He would get them here when it was His timing. Um, And it was hard because three months goes by fast. It just seemed like a long time, especially when a man is in pain and the kids are young and just need the support. Everybody got here to Augusta and you found Berea. Tell us a little bit more about like what those early days were like. 
What was your first impression of the church? Uh, I imagine the first thing that drew you was that it was Reformed Baptist and that you heard a sermon online. Um, but as you started coming, what were some of the things that you appreciated and saw? Mm-hmm. The biggest, I guess, was for Amanda and coming around a smaller church growing. We felt the tension of things that were going on as the church was, you know, I guess the phrase is reformed, but always reforming. The Lord was reforming the church and the people that kind of weren't on board with it were um, leaving. But I guess the Lord protected us from the tension of that. We saw it, but we knew what it meant because we had been under that teaching in Conyers for six or seven years together. And so we felt our heartstrings were saddened for what was going on. Yeah. And we saw how the leadership was getting attacked at times verbally in meetings. And and it was a challenge to see that happen, but we never once were like questioning. We just knew we needed to be there. So the dynamics of that season were, wow, this is going on and these people don't see what's happening uh, in the scriptures. And they're just like having other reasons for, but the Lord was gracious in that. And we honed in on Bert and really like, we prayed like crazy for Bert. And we're like, I was asking him several times, you're not going to leave, are you? Because this is going on. And uh, his question, I know in particular, one time I asked him that I was like, he's like, no, I want to be a, a pastor at a church like forever. I'm not one that wants to hop around and go find the bigger, better church. And, you know, kind of unbeknownst to Amanda and I, like he was just in the fire, like all the time. I, I, I didn't know much about Pat. I knew what Butch did in Conyers building a church, but like this was just in the fire here at Berea with the things that were happening. So Amanda and I, we helped out in nursery at that point, everybody's just wearing all the hats, you know, just the volunteers trying to do everything from praying for the leadership at the time, which was Stephen and Bert, Stephen Story and Bert. And so really just like, what can we do to help out like anywhere and everywhere right now during the season? And um, so we were able to get involved. So that kind of goes on. And then you see the turn, like it got to its lowest level. And then you see people coming you know, there wasn't any advertising, wasn't any marketing, there wasn't any, anything. We were just talking and the Lord would just bring people. And then it became just a sweet time of rebuilding the church, Bert never wavering, continuing to preach, uh, just staying focused, even supporting him. You know, the meetings started to get more um, encouraging. And, and then that season was for, I don't know, the next however many more years we were on South Old Bel Air. And not even in the church, it was just in the fellowship hall um, is where we're meeting and just getting some systems in place. We're growing. Okay, we're, we're kind of foundationally sound now. Uh, let's see what the Lord does to move on from it. And so we were just, we were all in and just loving the support that we were getting from such a small church in a huge way to make it, you know. And I don't know the finances at the time. And I don't know, <laughs> you know, where Bert's mind was. I've heard stories since then about, you know, things that Bert went through, people questioning him. Hey, Bert, you can come here to this church in another part of the country and do so much better. And like, he just resisted. And he's like, no, no, this is where I'm at. You know, I'm here for it. And so 
pretty amazing story. And I, I knew like when Amanda were in it early on, is like, Amanda, if this guy is going through these things and he's committed and focused, like he's getting, he's having to plumb the depths of the gospel and trusting him more than like anything in the planet right now. And if he's going to continue to press on and stay on, like there's no way we're ever leaving, you know, this situation right now or this guy because he's committed and in a position that could be like at the bottom level from a new pastor coming into a church that's getting destroyed and not leaving. Yeah. It was amazing to see. Hmm. So you all were here, you're at Berea, church is growing. You'll decide to move out and launch in Evans. What was that transition like? It was fun because not even looking, which has happened now a couple of times with Berea, now Crawford, but not even looking, um, the Lord opened up doors to move. We were just getting in a point where it was kind of tight in the fellowship hall there. It was a foundation out front that was empty. Um, before Bert came, there was talk, I guess, of going into a lot of debt to build something there. And Bert came in and was like, no, we're not going to build a church there. We're going to you know, focus on the church and do some things financially that's more wise. And so then all of a sudden, a school approaches us and says, hey, you know, we may want to have this building and we can use that pad out there for uh, a resource for us. And so at the right timing, we were having tension of moving or growing, needed a place, didn't have money to go buy something, didn't want to renovate anything. Um, the school shows up. So one thing leads to another, we start talking to them and boom, they take the building and launched us into another cool facility because Right when that was happening, there was a Presbyterian church in a bay um, in Evans. We yeah, were, that it's was like a little Grotown, strip mall area. A little strip mall area. Yeah. And it, they were moving out, and they were using it. So we just kind of like right moved in when they moved out. So the Lord opened that door. Really cool. So we renovated. We branded it Berea. Had a fun time doing that. We had some funds. We just kind of cash flowed it and made it uh, Berea. And so just had a great time of just moving. And then like... South Old Bel Air was great, but it was in an area that wasn't very visible. It was funny. We had a garage sale towards the end of this, and people were coming to the garage sale. I didn't even know y'all were here. Hmm. You know, we'd been there for however many years. <laughs> and this, these are people in the neighborhood that lived right there who didn't yeah. know the church was there. It was away from the road. Then I had the eyesore of that pad in front. When we get over into Evans, uh, the Lord opened tons of doors with people that just like flooded in. He allowed us to market the move and people came to check it out and we quickly grew out of that space uh, a lot faster than we anticipated but really again saw uh, how the Lord provided us the ability to grow in a new location new things new systems in place and then lots of new people coming in and uh, it was a great time there too as well I mean, I mean it was maybe maybe two and a half three years we were there a short short time but went fast man so that was good. So I'm trying to remember what year did you come on as an elder? Do you remember what year? 2013, I guess, 12 maybe. Yeah, I had that sounds about right. I had the first six years. Well, actually, I was deacon for a little while. I don't remember how long deacon and then came on as an elder for six and then had the year off. So probably 2013, I guess, would be 12, 13 okay. in that time frame. And 
the story with that, you know, was became a deacon when Bree was at South Old Bel Air and loved the deacon role and never, ever uh, wanted to consider myself as like, and I love the de- and elder. I love the deacon because it was you know, kind of behind the scenes or the worker be behind the scenes and not wanting to be quote unquote kind of in the front, I guess. And so enjoyed deacon because Amanda and I just like got involved in just in, in the marriage, Amanda and I's goal was to outserve one another hmm. constantly, just like trying to one up sometimes challengingly, but, serve out serve one another so the lord just uh, opened the door to be a deacon and fill that role and in the background well at some point i don't remember when it was bert uh, came to me and wanted to meet talk about i just thought he wanted to talk about being a deacon and he mentioned being an elder and like i think i started crying you know in the meeting i went back home and i was like there's no way amanda that this could happen and it probably took me six months to work through the um, that question and part of me and uh, just took a long time to work through it. Several meetings with Bert, talking to other people and Amanda and I just praying about it um, for a long time and um, you know, using the words not fit, unworthy, can't fill that role, not equipped, just these things that I had to work through. But were you on already? When yeah, I, I moved down here in 2011. Okay. Yeah. So I think with you and with Bert in that that challenge, um, I believe you guys, one of you was like, you know, we're never fit to ever be anything that we are. We're pastors and never fit. Yeah. Never worthy. I mean, yeah. The reality know. is if the, if the Lord only called people who were worthy to be pastors and elders, there's just, there wouldn't be any pastors and elders because like none of yeah. us are worthy. You compare it to even receiving the gospel and receiving Christ. Like I'm not worthy of that. I'm not worthy of what Christ did on the cross, but that's part of the message of our faith is that we confess that we are not worthy, but even the confession of not being worthy is part of that, right? It's not simply that you're not worthy and you say, I am worthy, <laughs> but that, you're not worthy and you realize you're not worthy. And that's kind of part of it, mm-hmm. part of the equation. Yeah, so true. So the Lord had to just like, all right, Chad, of course you're not. So we have the gospel. And so I accepted it and uh, was humbling and was, you know, prayed for that Sunday morning, gave some little speech and, uh, I still had to accept it just took a, a long time to fill it and to become okay with it. And still, man, like it, it was hard. You, you know, you want people that visit and you want the body to know who the elders are because you want them to know the elders, but just to say it and verbalize it, I still operate behind the scenes. But when you're an elder and I think the Lord was even at Augusta sports where I was becoming more of a leader there and needing to lead teams and people and more things with the role that was there. And so I started reading a lot of leadership books mm. on how to lead behind the scenes and what it meant to be a leader in the corporate world. A lot of it transitioned to church leadership. And then we were reading a lot of leadership books at church. So 
I became more comfortable in the role of elder and how to, to do it. Um, as the elder, you're more in front. And so how to do that humbly, I guess you could say, but letting myself be free in the role to be, be known as the elder, as an elder. And so it took a while, but uh, finally the Lord. I don't know that I'm ever still 100%. I still <laughs> wrestle with it, you know. It's funny because I know we do pastoral prayer and we, we say we're an elder of the church and there's still a tug of me that's like challenged by that, you know. But anyway. <laughs> well, hopefully it's a good challenge. Yes, because, I mean, it is. The reality is the church has chosen you and put you in that role. So when you stand in front of the church, mm-hmm. part of that is recognizing the church has put their confidence in me. So in some ways it is that element of leadership, right? Where you just kind of take up the mantle and, and go with it. Uh, not on your own strength, but on the Lord's strength. Yeah. After you came on as an elder, y'all had a, a challenging season. Do you want to talk a little bit about that and just some of the ways the Lord used that time to shape your family and to and to bring y'all together? Mm-hmm. Aubrey was born in two thousand and three. There was some huge complications in the delivery of Aubrey. Aubrey was, um, we love you, Aubrey. She was 10 pounds, four ounces, so she was a really big baby, and Amanda's not very big. So there was a lot of, like, tense. So just to help Aubrey feel better, I think I was close to 12 pounds. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yes. Freedom to feel better now, Aubrey, for that. And so it was a tense uh, delivery. Well, after the normal delivery pains were off uh, that the women have, there was another pain that was there that wasn't going away. Mm-hmm. And so then from 2003, even up until now, uh, the pain has been there and it's never flowed down in terms of like, you think about ebb and flow of pain up and down. It was just a constant trajectory of increased pain that intensified and got worse year after year. Never a solution. So for 16 years, uh, 17 now, I've tried to figure out what it was and nobody, we went, we were going all over the country trying to find doctors. So, yes, moving here was about the time that that became reality of this pain. Um, the Lord is amazing because I mean, obviously we, we know the Lord's grace in the suffering, in the trial is clearly talked about in Scripture. As a cool phrase that I read one time, um, suffering is the currency into the kingdom. And it stuck with me in an article I read because it resonated with me because suffering, not in particular for the gospel, because there is that missionary, you're suffering for the gospel. But Amanda has suffered with pain um, for 17 years. And because scripture talks about suffering and Christ suffered, Mm -hmm. and we felt that the suffering is a currency to the kingdom because it has allowed us so many opportunities to share with people about pain and suffering, Mm -hmm. especially when it's a suffering that can't be identified. 
There's no end in sight for resolution. Uh, there's not really any help that can be given. Almost could feel like we were on an island, and uh, at times Amanda did for years, because who in the world has this? Yeah. Nobody can tell us what it is, so we're by ourselves in this. Mm-hmm. So that church support, we had family support, and then the Lord's grace and the Trinity support was so apparent in seasons of like, what and why and when's it over and what's going on and what are you doing, Lord, of questioning the Lord. Um, the support was amazing. And, and I'm so thankful for Scripture because in the Psalms, Psalm 77, in particular Psalm 88, even more particular, and Job, there's crying out to the Lord. And and First Peter, there's so many suffering that we would never have plumbed the depths of the gospel the way we had to in those 17 years because of the suffering that came. Mm. And we went through seasons of like, okay, it's here early on. Maybe it'll go away. Then it's not going away, and we're accepting it, and we're just questioning the Lord to every degree. Mm. And then you just accept it, and you own it. Okay, it's here, um, and we're just going to live with it because we don't know there's any, any insight. So how can we use it? Like use it intentionally for God's glory because he's using it for his glory no matter what season it is, but for us to, now it's here. Now we're questioning when's it going to go away the Lord? And then it's like, okay, we have it now. Let's give the glory through it. Which I say that, but it was never easy. It was never fun a lot of times. It caused massive emotional depth at the bottom of the level, if you can imagine that, uh, all over the place um, for 17 years of of that. Still no identification of what it is, but in in that season, there are millions or hundreds of that, whatever stories of God's grace, um, the Lord providing, provision, sustainment, faithfulness, reading of so many books on pain, depression, counseling, support, the caregiver, um, seasons of drought, wanting nothing to do, seasons of like height when I see what the Lord's doing. So like you cover the gamut of, I guess, maybe not all of it, but in our situation of gospel intensity, focus, where's the Lord? Oh, he's right here screaming through like walk of life, dreams at night, mm-hmm. up in the middle of the night for almost seems like years on end. Um, husband having to do things that you would think never been called to do because your wife is suffering and can't do like, when you think about I'm getting married and my family's going to look like this, mm-hmm six years into the marriage and you have a child and it looks nothing like what your wife's dreams were totally shattered. And then you have no way to adjust to what's happening. So when the Lord continued to strip away almost weekly things in our life and all he has let, all that's left is him. All we can do is either run or clean. And I'm not saying every time was clinging, but together we clinged more than mm-hmm. ever. 
And so out of that became a marriage that I feel is stronger than anything else on the planet. Mm. And kids that saw a husband and wife, they grew up to see that. Yeah. And hopefully they saw a dad that loved her, his wife, and a wife, that, a mom that responded amazingly in pain. We, we got to see that too. You know, the, the church got to see that too. And um, we're really thankful for you all in the ways that yeah. you all gave God glory during that season and continue to do so. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, it was a hard time, but, and Amanda's, she's gotten a lot better and the Lord's done some amazing things in the past uh, couple of years. And so um, it's been even cool to see uh, a transition in, the pain and the mindset, not as totally gone, but he's done some amazing things in the past year. And uh, we can only think that our kids are stronger because of it. Yeah. And we look back and if we could write, you know, our marriage and the birth differently, mm-hmm. we wouldn't. No way. It would still be the same. Because when we think about like our growth and, you know, when pain comes, you usually don't run into pain. Right. As missionaries, you go, you could step into pain as a missionary wherever you go. But like a lot of times the Lord just brings the pain and he just brought it to us and refined us in that season. And so um, that currency to the kingdom for us is pain because now eternally our perspective has been totally changed. And then to be able to help people uh, now is a gift to talk to people about our journey and try to help others in that. So there's like, like I said, hundreds of stories in that season where the Lord's provided and continues to provide um, that we just, you know, you wouldn't have ever seen coming or probably gone to it. And so we're thankful, you know, for that time now. So it's not that it's over, but we're in a totally different season now and uh, seeing the Lord's hand in so many cool ways now with it. So yeah, man. That's and the, something about anytime you go through a challenge or a struggle of any kind, it's like you're looking for those answers, right? In a way that you never would have looked for those answers before. Mm-hmm. And you have to go to scripture. You have to go on your knees. Like you have to talk to other people. And uh, the Lord gives us those things. It's like, I mean, there's just, the patterns of it are just all over creation itself. Even just like anytime there's uh, growth, there's usually resistance first, right? I mean, you think about strength training or you think about exercise. Mm. Um, you think about even hunger, right? You probably wouldn't ever eat unless you were hungry. Yeah. Um, but all of those challenges, um, they you they push you into a kind of growth that you didn't have before. Yeah, that's um, true. And as you said, you're 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 better equipped to minister to people, and the Lord strengthened you through that resistance so that you could be equipped to lead mm. people well now. Amen. It's interesting too, to think as I think about y'all and just even thinking about marriage itself, like when you're at the altar, when you say in sickness and in health, you just kind of assume that like, well, it's going to be mostly health, right? <laughs> but that's not, the, that's not always the case. Um, mm. You think the sickness part, 
that'll be over soon, right? But it, I mean, just depending on how the Lord orchestrates a couple's life, it might not be. But there is a commitment there. And of course, those vows aren't in Scripture. But the reason those vows are there is because it points us to something greater, and that's the love of Christ for his church and church loving Christ and how the marriage reflects that intimacy and mm. um, yeah, that structure there. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. It is interesting you say that because every time we go to a marriage, a wedding now, they get to that point, you know, we can't help but think, yeah, you have no idea what could happen in, mm. after you're married. Yeah. The, the sickness part. Yeah. You just have no clue. Yeah. <laughs> you think. You know, yeah. Marriage. And you think even about God's goodness in marriage and designing marriage as a system for us, so to speak. I mean, it reflects him, so it's good because of that. But the reality is, if we were able to operate selfishly, it could be in us just to abandon that person. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like if that, if if marriage was about self-fulfillment and helping the other person, which it is in much of secular society, right? We get married so that we can have a partnership and helping each other get what the individual wants. But mm-hmm. what Christian marriage should reflect is uh, a, a service, right? A, a lifelong humbling to one another in order to love one another well and serve one another well. But, you know, like if you were if you were in it just for yourself and marriage was a tool, like a stepping stone for you to get what you wanted, then in those instances where there are challenges, it's like, I'm just going to step away from this. Like, mm-hmm. I don't want this. This is a challenge. Yeah. But the way that God has designed marriage, the way that he's designed intimacy and sex and marriage, it's all meant to intermingle two people to become one one unit. Yeah. And um, man, it's just, I mean, your all story uh, helps to show that because you all have loved each other well and you've loved the Lord well. And it's an example of God's goodness in marriage. And we're, I'm just thankful for y'all and that, for the, what the Lord's done in y'all. Yeah, praise the Lord. Amen. So Chad, as you think about the future of Crawford Avenue, there's always places for our church to grow, ways that we can grow in discipleship. Um, what are some things that you would like the church to to be able to grow in? And what, what are some things that you'd like to help the church grow in? Hopefully with it being kind of Corona right now and families are at home, family worship has hopefully been... Uh, maybe revived in some families, maybe established in others. I know when we did, you guys were putting out the family uh, worship guides early on. A lot of families were talking about how they were doing a lot of good family worship because of it. And it was really like encouraging to hear a lot of folks in our community group were talking about it. I think it spread around to all of the others and just kind of excited my heart because it's really interesting when you ask folks of any like just church going people, do you do family worship? And they kind of look at you because I try to just challenge some of the men with these kind of things. And they're like, 
no, we don't really do family worship, but they don't really say much about it. And, and I understand for that to become a priority, a lot of times you got to be challenged into it. Maybe it's not talked a lot about wherever they may attend worship. But it kind of breaks my heart as the husband and the leader of the home to not have that as a priority. And so I would love to see just at Crawford that become more in the DNA, um, talked about often through the men of the church, um, what they're doing about with family worship and challenging other men and having it become part of their uh, routine every night. Because I think with a lot of the things that happen in our family with uh, Amanda's story of plumbing the depths of the gospel and pain, we wanted to show the kids not only activity, what we're doing to live as a family, husband and wife in the middle of a trial that's going on for a long time. We don't know when the end is. But what Scripture has to say about that, it's one thing for me to verbalize it and say, oh, kids, we're doing this because the Lord says, but we established uh, family worship early on uh, with the family. And I don't know, maybe if someone had mentioned it to us or the Lord just revealed. So if it's a new concept for someone, what what would you say? How would you summarize family worship? Just simply open up the Bible and just maybe even pick a psalm or something just to memorize. And that can be worship enough and not to get caught up in an order or a structure or a certain discipline or the ability to translate the scripture or expound it. Um, a great book that I read was, I think we did it as a community group one time, was Family Worship by Donald Whitney. Really good book, short, mm-hmm. sing and pray and read. And with the Aubrey, early on, she was like, you know, st- not even a year, probably maybe a year. We just started memorizing Psalm 1, reading it with her every mm-hmm. night, Psalm 1. And kind of going through, we just kept doing it for years. And she would end it. She couldn't talk. Early on, she would just end some of the sentences with a sound because we got into a rhythm of it, singing it sometimes or whatever. Eventually, she would say it. Eventually, she would start the sentence and finish it. Eventually, she would start the, the meats of it. And 17 years later, she can say the whole psalm. That's great. When we started that early. So we considered that family worship. It was me and Amanda yeah. and Aubrey just yeah. doing Psalm 1. So just help clarify. It's not like you've got little chairs or pews set up in your house and you say, welcome to family worship. <laughs> Uh, be sure to fill out your connection card and kind of thing, right? <laughs> you're just, you're getting together as a family on a regular basis. And it looks different in different seasons, doesn't it? Amen. It does. Know, I mean, you just got to like keep figuring it out. And there will be seasons where like it's it's challenging or maybe like you realize, okay, this routine doesn't work anymore. Man, <laughs> so, you ain't like, kidding. <laughs> so you got to like try something else, you know, and just like you just keep at All it, right? The time. And there will be seasons too, I think, where, you might emphasize more scripture memory or you might emphasize more learning songs or you might emphasize more um, praying together and help each other, helping kids learn how to pray. Whatever that is, it's, it's simply pursuing your family with scripture and the Lord, right? Yes. Yeah. No doubt. Yeah. And not to give up. I think most people think of family worship as like, they think about Sunday worship, right? Mm-hmm. Which is organized and has people behind it who are doing a lot of work in order to prepare it. As a parent, you just basically you want to open up the word regularly with your kids. And that's it. That's right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So let them see that. Yeah. Man, I read a, a phenomenal quote uh, several years ago. And it was right in the moment where I was getting frustrated. 
because you get frustrated for him worship because the family's not doing what you want them to do and you have planned <laughs> and it doesn't happen for like weeks or months on end. Well, I was getting to this point. I was like, oh my word, we're not getting anywhere each time we do it every night. I'm, I'm just ready to take a break. Yeah. And I forgot what the book was. It may have been masculine mandate or, or maybe in family worship or something, but it said, and this like, this was like the week that I, in my mind I was struggling. The guy goes, I'll summarize. If you think that you should be stopping family worship because your family's not engaging or they're not reading or they're not answering questions, then basically here's a gut check because that is when they need it more than ever. Mm. When you're ready to check out, don't you even think for a moment that you have even the right to check out because it's not happening the way you want it to because they need it now more than ever yep. in this moment. And man, I closed the book and I was like, the Lord just like <laughs> KO'd me on the ground and knocked me. And I was like getting up just like, yep. can't stop. Yeah. Press harder. Chad, at the end of each of the podcasts, we like to do uh, like a just a quick lightning round of favorites just to help us to get to know you and get to know mm. some of your personality some. Cool. Chad, what's your favorite meal? Could be something you do at home. It could be something at a restaurant. Okay, so I'm a really super ridiculous healthy eater. So I'm going to say there's a restaurant in Atlanta. It's called uh, Atlanta Fish Market, and they have a great salmon. And I love salad. So they'll do this uh, salmon on a cedar plank and uh, put it on some greens. And it's really, so it's a simple salmon. I love salmon on a salad. It's a really good, healthy salad. And um, on the side, it's just broccoli. And so that's kind of it. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a, I like salmon, too. Yeah. Um, What's your favorite dessert or what would you, even if it's just like something you have after dinner, maybe it's not something mm. sugary or sweet, but yeah, I love peanut butter uh, a lot. And so I have this peanut butter granola that I make. And so it's, it's a, just a mixture of all these healthy things. So if I have a great snack, it's usually a good cup of coffee with some granola. Nice. It's pretty simple, man. Do, what's your favorite peanut butter? Schmuckers. All natural, really? creamy. All right. All that's in it's peanuts, a little bit of sea salt, but you got to mix it up because oil separates. Yeah. Uh, what's your favorite place to visit or vacation? I love the mountains. Like it's really uh, any particular a place for spot. Me. It's not that one that we've gone to, but a couple of times, and it was a friend. It was Caesar's Head, up in kind of the South Carolina area. Okay. And just beautiful. And I don't know if we'll go back to that particular spot again, but I just enjoy all things mountains. Yeah. You know, what do you like to do when you go to the mountains? Uh, early morning, cool, crisp, uh, somewhere just reading the scripture and just being quiet, watching the sun come up. Yeah. After a morning workout. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Do you have a favorite movie or TV series? Uh, don't watch any TV. I don't watch any movies. It's, it's so <laughs> funny because we have a, Usually I have family movie nights and I fall asleep within like 30 minutes of the movie being on. But um, 
I, I mean, right now I'm, I'm watching, I, I liked Michael Jordan growing up. I had mentioned that earlier. So I'm watching the last dance. A lot of you guys may have heard of that, but it's a cool story about Jordan's life. And it's right in the middle of when I met him is when this story is about. Mm-hmm. So it, it was kind of cool. So I'm enjoying watching that, but literally I may watch three hours of TV all year, literally. And it's a couple hours of March madness. Yeah. That's about it. Yeah. Do you think we'll have March madness this year? And I hope so. So outside of scripture, do you have a favorite quote? The most uh, recent one, which I'm using a lot, is focus, not finished. Okay. And it came from a guy named Chris Hogan. He's a part of the Dave Ramsey circuit. He's a really cool guy, and I've been listening to him a lot. But he's got some really cool phrases, but focus, not finished. Being kind of an entrepreneur because I own my own business and goal setting and driven and, you know, focused on something. Um, I kind of adopted it and come up with it. I just adopted it because it kind of is a simple way to. Yeah. Uh, and Brooks, uh, I mentioned to him one time, he kind of was taken under his wing to focus. I think we, we joke about it a lot, but it's kind of funny. So that's my phrase right now. Nice. Do you have a favorite Crawford Avenue or Berea memory? That would probably just be the, the merge of Crawford and Berea down here. You know, probably been six years ago now, I guess, five years ago. But um, that was such a big event. Again, church wasn't looking to do anything like that. We were just in a season of Bria needing to move. We just knew it. And the Lord orchestrated uh, an amazing merge down here. So, and just being able to be a part of that, I was still in corporate world, but uh, to see that the Lord removed so many you know, obstacles on paper and barriers, just thinking through this happening uh, was really neat to see him take, take that all out of the way and allow the merch to happen. And uh, it was just such a big event for the life of this body that mm. transcends anything that we could do ourselves. Yeah. It's very cool. Uh, do you have a favorite band or a favorite musician? Anybody you listen to? I don't know. I, I wouldn't say band, song all i have is christ hmm. is like my before that it was come thou fount of every blessing but all i have is christ i think i heard that together for the gospel i don't know five or six years ago whatever it was and i don't know that song just gets me a lot yeah that's a great song yeah so i know you have some favorite teams who do you root for well and Growing up, Kyle, our high school loved the Jordan, so I loved Chicago Bulls. I don't, and then in college, so I don't really watch many sports. I got kind of, kind of sick of the professional sports. So I love North Carolina and Tar Heel basketball. Like Jordan went there, and I wanted to go to school <laughs> in North Carolina, and so I love watching that when I when they're in the playoffs. I love watching Carolina basketball. Other than that, right now it's Brooks Greenbrier football because he's playing football. You know, we have game nights you know, family game nights and we'll get together with neighbors and stuff and play games. And so, you know, it's kind of like the new sport is just games with family. Nice. Well, man, finally, what are some ways we can pray for you? You know, um, I think being in particular right now, just being a business owner and the one business I own is, is really hurting. Uh, so just prayer for, for business and sustainability with finances. But you know, we're entering into the next stage of life with my daughter's a senior, so she'll be going to college soon. Brooks is coming up into junior and senior years. And so we're into a massive transition coming in the next, you know, year or so with that. So 
obviously waters we've never been in. And so just praying for the Lord's wisdom to be imparted to me as I lead my family. The man that would trust in that and the kids would just go along for the ride. Um, and that our faith would continue to grow, you know, in all these areas, just growing our faith. And then our marriage, when the kids do get out, we become empty nesters that I mean, and I would reconnect in a super cool way yeah. as that happens. So, uh, And then just pray for the church, obviously, in leadership, just praying for leading uh, this body well that we love and serve. No doubt. Nice. Church, let's, let's pray for Chad and that. Chad, thanks for being on the show. Great. Thanks for having me, man. Enjoyed it. the end of another episode of Won't You Be My Elder, a podcast of Crawford Avenue Baptist Church in Augusta, Georgia. My guest today has been Chad Trollinger, and if you've been encouraged by Chad and by his testimony, you should reach out to him. Let him know that it was encouraging to you. And if you have any questions about anything that he talks about, whether that be something in his life story or maybe something about family worship, you should reach out to Chad. We're here for you. We love to talk to you and answer your questions. And um, we're so thankful that we get to serve the church. So far in this series, we've interviewed Don Pizzotta, Stephen Story, Kevin Briggins, and Mark Brown. If you missed any of those interviews and you want to listen to them, you can find them easily at crawfordavenue.org. Once you get to that website, just click on who we are and then click leadership and staff. And then you'll find those interview links Pretty soon we'll have interviews with Bert Daniel and myself. No, I won't be interviewing myself. Somebody else will do that. Uh, But keep an eye out for those. Thanks for listening and God bless.